0: Hi everyone, this is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to LL Research Podcast In The Now, episode number 38. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites, the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband to the late Carla L. Rucker, scribe for the raw contact and president of LL Research, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the law of one. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, They're generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise his own discernment and listen for her own resonance in determining what is true. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You can either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Is everybody here and ready to roll?
1: I'm here and ready to roll. And so am I.
0: All right. Well, our first question comes from Lily via email. And the short version is, how do battles in the fourth density affect us? And the background for that is uh, two, or are two quotes from the RAW contact. The first one, uh, for reference, comes from 25.6. In this one, Ra describes a battle between the Confederation and the Orion group. In question number three, Ra has this to say about the battle. Quote, it has not been fruitful for either side. The only consequence which has been helpful is the balancing of the energies available to this planet, so that these energies have less necessity to be balanced in this space-time thus lessening the chances of planetary annihilation. End quote. In 35.8, Ra describes how a fourth density entity decided to exchange with the one known as Abraham Lincoln as a walk-in. Quote, This being was concerned with the battles between the forces of light and the forces of darkness, which have been waged in fourth density for many of your years. The Planetary energies at this time were at what seemed to this entity to be at a critical point. The entity went forward into the battle for the light. and my... Th- thoughts to avert danger to the development of democracy and for healing of a rupture in the concept of freedom. End quote. These descriptions indicate a direct relationship of what's going on in the fourth density and in our third density. Ross seems to allude to the possibility that before the in spiral planetary energies enter our density, they have been processed in the fourth density in some fashion. Then they carry the results, at least in terms of balancing of the energies, and come to us. Now it's our turn to continue the process. Thus, if the energies are more balanced in the fourth density, we would have less of a chance to make a fatal disaster. Conceivably, the reverse is also true. Could you comment on this topic, Austin?
2: Okay, well, I can try to comment. Uh, I can't say too much, but this would be a great question to ask during a channeling, I think, as the implications of how we're affected by these uh, external energies seems to be pretty important and lily seems to be working with the idea that these energies that rao's talking about are affected before they get to us and uh then we are in turn affected by them and i can only offer sort of an alternative perspective but i can't really say which one is more correct um Perhaps the energies available to this planet are directly affected by the entities that are on this planet. In other words, we as humans, through our actions and mentalities and thoughts, have an effect on what energy is uh, made available to us. In this sense, the energies in streaming from the Logos aren't automatically distorted and in need of balancing, but rather are made available in a fashion that uh, each entity unconsciously sort of draws into our planet. We could say that higher density beings have an effect on this in a sense, as Ra talks about the attempt, uh, attempted influence of Orion and the Confederation. They sort of plant seeds that uh, may sprout into imbalanced or confused mentalities, and particularly the Orion seeds of separation. And then the battle in time-space Ra talks about might then help our planet to process these energies that we, as humans, are sort of directly influencing already. Energies which, if not helped to be balanced by this battle, may manifest in greater expressions of confusion or separation. Uh, I do think that we as humans are one with our planet in more ways than we realize, and how we use our free will has an effect on society as a whole, and then society has an effect on the planet in not just physical ways, but also metaphysical ways. And I have a sense that the planet, completely free of humans on its surface, uh, with our free will it would have perfectly balanced energies. I don't see how a planet could just have innately imbalanced energies that, um, need to be played out in this fourth density battle before they get to us. So in that sense, maybe it's more of a reciprocal relationship than simply being offered, uh, us being offered the energy by the Logos, and perhaps it's more of a cycle than just a one-way system. But I'm really just working with my own intuition here, sort of informed by the Law of One and other esoteric texts, but it's not something I can say with any real authority, just kind of sharing my thoughts. But I do think that Lily's conclusion on uh, direct relationship with higher density uh, energies is sort of perceptive, and um, it's likely part of the cycle in total but i see sort of a more um back and forth rather than a one-way relationship how about you gary Mm,
1: likewise i would have to venture into the realm of speculation um springboarding off of intuition hopefully uh informed intuition rather and um so ra I am not aware of anywhere in particular where Ra describes energy moving from higher densities to lower densities per se. Certainly, um, higher density entities interact with lower density entities and maybe energy moves via those conduits. Um, But otherwise, they do describe a a situation um, of cosmic inpourings coming into the planet's uh, energetic web and um, then into individual mind body spirit complexes. But they don't describe uh, precisely through what channels, what processes that cosmic energy comes. Does it come from seventh to sixth to fifth to fourth to third density? Is this coming directly from the Logos? Is this just coming from elsewhere in the creation on the third density level? I'm not sure. Um, One idea I had for why the thought form time-space war or battle in fourth density may help um, balance the energies here in third density and may make planetary annihilation less likely in third density is um, simply – is due simply to the fact that the fourth density entities may be occupied (laughs) – um uh specifically the the service of self entities instead of um being completely free to wreak their havoc from my perspective on planet earth and as Asa was saying, sow the seeds of separation and fan the flames of fear and hatred and so forth <clears throat> and exacerbate bellicosity. Um instead of being free to do that, they are sort of tied down with this battle um where positive entities are defending the planet uh serving as a sort of guardian um thereby making the full i'm sorry thereby blunting the full impact of the service self entities' uh energies that would otherwise be being um given or offered to this planet i this seems logical but at the same time it seems like there's something more to the metaphysics of what they're doing in fourth density and how it affects us and i don't quite um understand that so um jim how about you
0: yeah this is an area that's uh you know be pretty speculative i think for all of us um in general, I think Ra has said in the past that you know there are seven Earths. Um, there are four in, potent, in uh, activation now, including the fourth density. Ra said that uh, the planet itself is in the fourth density, but that the uh, material of the it planet itself is quite confused due to the variety of social memory complexes embedded in its consciousness. Therefore, it will be fetched at some inconvenience. Now, that suggests that... Um, There is some significant outside influence uh, willing to work with the planet and the population of the planet in order to help it be a more harmonious harvest, um, which kind of conflicts a little bit or conflicts a little bit with what has been said before about each of the densities of the planet is uh, discrete from each other density. But when you consider uh, the the Battle of Armageddon, I believe is what this battle between the fourth density positive and negative is called, it started I think about thirty three hundred years ago. So that does have an effect upon uh, the planetary possibilities of uh, Ross said to be more likely to be guerrilla type warfare rather than the planetary annihilation, which uh, sounds like a real good thing to me. But it also <laughs> suggests that there is uh, some so outside influence uh, from the Confederation that is here, not only to, as Ra did during the, the bombing of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, you know, keep the mind-body spirits intact, but they also, at that time, allowed the, uh, the bombing to occur. And in general, Don asks another question, um, so then you would uh, allow such to occur, but uh, these uh, spirits remain intact? And Ra said, yes, that's, that's correct. But it seems like this battle of the uh, fourth density entities is being fought one purpose, at least, and that is to reduce that likelihood of annihilation. Um, as far as the um, effect or the um, likelihood of the walk-in that took uh, Abraham Lincoln's body or other walk-ins, Ross said that was extremely rare. rare. I doubt if that's some phenomenon that's going to have a large impact on the planet, although uh, as the president, uh, this walk-in was able to Successfully bring the Civil War to a close and attempted uh, to heal the wounds of the battle with uh, some wonderful uh, gestures and you know the freeing of slaves and uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, the uh, attempt to heal the wounds between the North and the South. Um, I believe historians have noticed that a significant difference in um, the, in, in Abraham Lincoln's speeches. Uh, prior to the, around the 1850 or 53, when his body was occupied by the walk-in, and those after, so there there could well be you know large effects upon the planet because of walk-ins, but since it's such a rare phenomenon, I would guess that most of the effect will come from this supposed Battle of Armageddon, and um, I can't quite imagine what it would be like to be fetched with some inconvenience. Either you guys have an idea about. Fetching Earth, <laughs> Gary.
1: <laughs> fetched with some inconvenience. Is that um, pertaining to harvest? Yes. Sure. The harvest will be fetched with nope. some inconvenience. The planet. The planet.
0: Yeah, I wish I had the uh, the quote right here. I'm, I'm taking this out of my lecture that I'm going to be giving in two weeks at uh, here in Louisville, and uh, the uh, the exact quote. Is uh, This sphere is at this time in fourth dimension vibration. Its material is quite confused due to the society memory complexes embedded in its consciousness. It has not made an easy transition to the vibrations which beckon. Therefore, it will be fetched with some inconvenience. It will be hmm. fetched.
1: Yeah, why the verb fetched there?
2: That's really <laughs> unusual. Fetched sort of implies yeah. like it's brought forth uh, and it's something that will need to be brought forth, but what the inconvenience is,
0: I... Can't imagine. I hope it's not too inconvenient. <laughs> well the inconvenience has already started as far as you know, Ra said. Right. By how, how much more inconvenient it will be, well, who knows?
1: By whom, though? The the fetching implies that there's some right. actor or some subject there.
0: Well, who else could it be but the Confederation?
1: Yeah. yeah. And you know, they Ra calls them the harvesters. So they're the ones
0: doing the fetching then? The uh bet entities from the octave beyond ours are the ones that provide the light in those uh, mm-hmm. exquisite uh, disseminations of form so i don't know if they would have anything to do with it you know i mean it's a, a fascinating possibility to think about
1: yeah it certainly is not one whose mystery i
2: plumb <laughs> I, I think that it might be a hint in here, Ross says, that it has not made an easy transition to the vibrations which beckon. So maybe they kind of mean that it's the vibrations that are beckoning it that will fetch it. Mm. Like the vibrations are sort of what are bringing it forth, and it will be fetched by those vibrations with inconvenience.
0: Yeah. or the re- Maybe. The release of the uh, heat from the earth is apparently is what's causing the great inconveniences as far as geophysical uh, weather, um, thousands of years of warfare and the, the anger and the heat of the anger and destruction and hostility has actually seeped into the mantle, the surface of the planet. And that heat has to be released in order for the planet to be in harmony with the fourth density. So it may have more to do with the heat being released and how it'll be released and um, some maybe some outside help helping the heat to be released in a way that is less annihilatory as far as geophysical, as well as uh, nuclear warfare. Yeah, maybe I,
1: I believe Ra also included in the inconveniences, um, the likelihood of some crazy presidential elections coming <laughs> in our future. Oh, really? As, as one, <laughs> one manifestation. Yes. I don't remember
2: that, but I believe. Yeah.
1: It. <laughs> um, an, another thought occurred to me, I was listening to Jim that, um, and this is probably a really bad uh, an analogy. But um, maybe if it's like some, some of uh, humanity's aggressive tendencies are kind of funneled into and siphoned off by team sports. They have sort of a proxy to do in, – in a, in a safe way to um, – to perform some theatrical play of bellicosity. And um, maybe likewise, <laughs> uh, the fourth density battle serves in, in a similar regard. They, that fourth density battle siphons off energies that, um, were they not siphoned off, would probably manifest into a larger scale war on this planet. I don't know. It's a thought. It's, <laughs> Isn't it? it's a thought. <laughs> so they're really just playing basketball in time space. <laughs> That's basically what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> and they're really emphasizing the handshake line after the game's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, any further thoughts on uh, Lily's first question there? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. No, not for me. Okay. Well, I think we were, we were in our attempt to uh, – uh, you know, the impossible dream is what we were doing here. But uh, we do thank you, Lily, for your question. It certainly was a thoughtful one. Okay, uh, I think we've got just about enough time to consider uh, Billy via forth. He has a very short question, but it's a very poignant one. How do you get through a period of uh, emotional agony and stagnation that doesn't seem to end, even though years have passed? Gary, do you have any thoughts there?
1: Thoughts, definitely. No answers. I don't think... Mm. There's a good answer from one human to another but um the the thought that was foremost in my mind when considering your question Billy was uh, the concept of faith. Uh, and then I got into a contemplation on the nature of faith and its function and how it works out in a human life. And um it seems that faith is is a is a faculty it is a, something that <clears throat> you almost might say it gets you around your catalyst or it punches a hole through the catalyst. When, when you seem to be in a sealed airtight container from which no amount of effort or force or explosives can free you. And even if that drags on for, as you say, years, and even if all seems final and over in a particular moment, faith is always there. It's never not there no matter how dire the circumstances. And it's always an ace up your sleeve that can never be exhausted. You can use it and reuse it and use it again. And faith seems to open that tight-fitting container of emotional stagnancy to allow some breathing air to come in, to allow some of that stuck energy to process, to reopen the cut-off self to the greater self. And it may or may not change the outer circumstance, whatever was initially or has been bothering you. Um, but it does strengthen your own heart. The faculty of faith helps you to bear this, the seeming weight of your experience. And it helps you, even at minimum, it helps you to survive. And sooner or later, it will, and it will open the door out of your perception of stagnancy. It will create that way um you billy you are so close to truth you've never actually left truth you're swimming in it every day but your perception and experience of course tells you otherwise and faith is that bridge but typically it must be invoked some people perhaps have done are born faithful or they've done such Uh, work with faith and past incarnations that they don't have to think too much about it. But for a lot of us, it it needs to be consciously invoked. And another thought that came to mind when considering your situation, about which I know very little. um, In my own sufferings, and I've been in some deep holes, I've realized that one of suffering's greatest tricks is to convince us that it is Eternal. That whatever the uncomfortable or even agonizing state, that it will last forever. You know, you don't have a vision. You're, or rather, your, your vision is really obscured and cut off when you're suffering. You don't see more than a few inches in front of you. And you're in this cocoon of, of darkness and pain. And you don't see a future where it's brighter, always. But only the eternal is eternal, and against that, suffering is a passing phenomena that takes many shapes and forms. So one thought that might help you to consider is that the suffering will end. New chapters await you. New challenges await you. You'll blink, and not only will the stagnancy be gone, but this life itself will be over. You will blink again, and this life will be a distant memory in your endless string of incarnations and experiences of love. In the meantime, in this moment, while you are here, my encouragement is to continue doing the work. Do your work in the darkness. Do the work in emotional stagnancy and do the work without being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Keep setting your intention and meditating and studying and self-investigating and serving and so forth and invoke faith during the process. And one day you may look back and realize suddenly that you are no longer in this place of agony. Back to the host.
0: Very good, Gary. That that was very, very good. I I appreciate that. Austin, what do you have to say about it?
2: Yeah, thank you for that um, beautiful response to that. Uh, I'm really glad that you took a very spiritual approach to this question because um, I have more of a, um, personal experience and practical advice to offer and, uh, nothing near the level of what you just offered him, Gary. Um, but from, like you said, we don't really know a whole lot about Billy's situation. Um, it could be a number of things, but what came to my mind was the idea of clinical depression, which is, uh, incredibly difficult. And, uh, when I was younger, when I was a kid, basically. I did go through two years of pretty intense clinical depression. So I have at least somewhat of an experience of years-long depression like that. And it wasn't diagnosed, but looking back at the experience, it seems clear to me that it was depression, and it probably could have been diagnosed. Um, Even the happy times that I experienced were sort of through a lens of dread, And it was impossible to care about much when no matter what I did or tried to care about, nothing seemed to change the way that I felt. And I can't really fully explain in words how I got past it, but I can say that it was purely an act of will. Um, It was an experience of randomly uh, seeming serendipity, uh, of random seeming serendipity, where I just discovered this part of myself that had the strength and ability to crawl out of the hole and it's not something that I could direct someone else towards because I just sort of happened upon this part of myself in the bottom of this pit of despair and realized that this was a person that was capable of all things that any person is capable of including happiness and uh, my circumstances in my life didn't change much at that point. And I wouldn't say that I became a happy person, but I did manage to find a way out of the darkness by randomly stumbling upon this part of myself while I was sort of wallowing in this despair. So perhaps, hopefully, just knowing that there is this part of you that is currently hidden from your perception that has the strength and the will to grasp that light and allow it to guide you from the darkness uh, will help you to know what to look for. And maybe to touch on Gary's aspect of faith, having the faith that that uh, part of you is ever present, even if you can't see it right now, knowing that it is there and it is available to your perception. If you can just find it, uh, that might help too. Um, But I think that, uh, Attempting the search for professional help probably should be mentioned too. Um, If it is clinical depression, uh, I know that professional mental health care is a privilege and it's not really a right in our society. It should be a right, I think. Uh, But if you do have access to it and it is available, I do think that it's something worth looking into if this has been a years-long issue that uh, nothing seems to penetrate. And I do know some people who have had rather bad experiences with therapists and psychiatrists, but I also know plenty of people in the field who are extremely gifted and empathic and people who have been helped greatly by uh, therapists and psychiatrists. Now, treatment-wise, everybody is different. Um, some people might be aided a lot by exercise or diet changes. Uh, but. Usually when people recommend these things, they don't typically understand how difficult it can be to implement those changes in the midst of a depression. Um, But keep in mind that exercise can simply be walking, uh, and it's even better if you can walk in an environment that's rich with nature and has fresh air and um, lots of uh, colorful stimulus and life to look at. Uh, other people, they might find benefit in some sort of alternative medicine, um, but I don't know much about alternative medicine to suggest anything in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I know that it's sort of uh, not necessarily uh, m- really accepted in alternative New Age communities, but um, the idea of therapeutic or pharmaceutical treatments uh, could be considered as well, because I have witnessed. Uh, drugs, uh, prescriptions have an incredible effect on somebody who was suffering through depression, who was very close to me. And it wasn't a permanent prescription and she didn't, uh, need any talking therapy. A psychiatrist just identified a chemical imbalance in her brain and offered a prescription and changes were uh, immediately apparent, at least within a month. And then after a year, she was back to her normal self and was able to stop taking the prescription. And, um, these things can work to help people heal and are worth looking into. If you think that maybe, uh, this is sort of a brain chemistry issue. Um, but you know, none of that's necessarily spiritual or based on the law of one. So I really appreciate Gary's answer. Um, might be more what Billy was looking for. Uh, that's about all I have to say. How about you, Jim?
0: Uh, that was really good, Austin. You two did uh, a great job here. um, I would echo Gary's uh, suggestion that you uh, continue to express the concept of faith and will as well, that you continue on Uh, from raw. We discovered that there are no mistakes, that everything does happen for a reason. Um, Something within you is able to survive right now. I mean, you survived for a number of years. Is there a chance that uh, this is happening because you need to have a chance to have endurance, to express perseverance, to uh, continue the faith, uh, exercise the will. Um, I would, I would go along with what Austin said about checking out um, a clinical depression diagnosis and see if there might be some sort of a prescription that might help you out. But also another possibility. Um, I've read a lot of the um, Life Between Lives episodes that uh, Dr. Michael Newton and Dr. Brian Weiss have um, shared with folks. And sometimes when they're in a situation like this, that they just have no idea of what's going on, if they're able to uh, be hypnotized, then they can go back to before the incarnation to figure out how it was that the choices that they made were made and what was likely to result from the choices so that you would have a chance then to see how you participated in creating your own environment, your own reality in this life and see what the purpose was. If you had some kind of uh, idea uh, of what was going on, I think it might make it easier for you to continue on. I mean, obviously, something has carried you this far. Uh, you have a very strong will, undoubtedly. You have a desire to uh, to be better. You, you see a better future for yourself. You would just like to get there. So I think um, there's a number of things that have been suggested today by McGarry and Austin, and, and maybe uh, you could add to. Uh, You know, the faith and the will and the therapy and uh, prescriptions, uh, the possibility of a regressive hypnosis to see what's uh, going on. Any last thoughts uh, from either you, Gary or Austin?
1: Just that uh, as often happens between us, I think um, we each had a complimentary piece that is taken together, synthesized into a greater whole. And appreciate listening to you guys. But um, no, no further thoughts. For Billy, other than um, to wish him well and to know that uh, this does have an
2: end. Um, the idea of the hypnotic regression made me have another thought for a suggestion that uh, Gary has a little bit of experience with, I think. And that is the uh, Stanislav Grof's holotropic breathing technique. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for something... It's this sort of cathartic that might sort of uh, sort of jumpstart you into uh, a realization or jumpstart you out of the depression? Um, you, Gary, you saw that have an effect on people in similar situations, right? Yes. You like me to describe it a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, I, it's just
1: was that um, it gave the conscious self access to. Um, otherwise unconscious material, um, which is, I think, one of the goals of any psychotherapeutic process is to um, get to hidden or buried or repressed material in order to then um, integrate it and process it and understand it and heal and forgive and so forth. And uh, Stanislav Grof was a researcher in Prague um, in the 50s, 60s, at the time when um, LSD was first being synthesized. And prior to its being made illegal through um, the culture's abuse of the substance. But um, anyway, so he was a pioneer in that field in using LSD as a psychotherapeutic tool and realizing that in one LSD session, more could be achieved than could um, sometimes Years of conventional um, talking associative uh, therapy models, it, it was a very powerful and potent thing because it gave the um, the subject direct access to material that would might remain out of sight all the way to taking them back to their birth or even in some cases um, having past life memories emerge. Um, but that, of course, as we all know, that substance, of course, was made illegal. So um, Stanislav Grof and I believe his wife developed a, um, a a safer alternative to LSD called, not safer, a well, a, a non-chemical uh, alternative. A more legal alternative. <laughs> more, yes, that too. It's quite legal. Called holotropic breathwork, which um, Im- involves... Um, mm, using breathing a certain technique of breathing in order to induce a non-ordinary state of consciousness and in this non-ordinary state of consciousness the um, self uh, goes on a you could say healing journey but um, it's all in a controlled uh, setting with facilitators and so forth but um, to conclude it does um, I have seen um that it it works for people to help them break through barriers in, in, in a in a safe
2: way, <clears throat> I just thought that was worth mentioning maybe might be worth it for Billy to look into that and see if he could attend a seminar or something
1: yeah there's um they have trained practitioners all over the country that i 'm sure with a little
0: searching you could find somebody not too far away. Cool, thanks for the information yeah all kinds of possibilities here. Well, I think that does it for this week. Uh, you've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for us before the next show, please read the instructions on a page at www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the weekly uh, published through the Archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. We want you to know, as always, we love you all. Hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you in two weeks.